Hello, lacrosse friends. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 14 of Box La Beat. I'm your host, Stephen Stamp. I'm also an editor at ILindoor.com, where you can get the best of box lacrosse coverage on the internet. Thanks for being with me again this week. Always a pleasure to talk to young Austin Stotts, one of the dynamic, electrifying offensive talents in the game of lacrosse. And he did not disappoint, both as a player, getting five goals and three assists in a real bounce-back performance for him. He declared in an interview after the game with Kayla Spies, the wonderful Calgary Roughneck sideline reporter, he said, I'm back. She said, what does this game mean for you? He said, it means I'm back. Because he's coming off an, a knee injury, his second time having that right knee repaired. And he says in this interview that he really... he went into it thinking, oh, maybe it'll be a bit easier because I've done it before, I've been through it before, but if anything, it was harder this time around, as tends to be the case the second time you have to go through a major rehab like that for a lacrosse player. Um, a great interview. I always enjoy chatting with Austin. I think he's a, an engaging young man on top of being a terrific player. I think you'll really enjoy the conversation that we have touching on the rehab and his passion for the game, what it's like. You know, being a guy who grew up in Six Nations with a brother who's a great lacrosse player leading the way ahead of you. And uh, a lot more things that we touch on with Austin Sots this week. Of course, we also take a look at last week in the National Lacrosse League, the week ahead in the National Lacrosse League. Check in with the Arena Lacrosse League as well as we tend to do here at Box Beat. Thanks for being with me. Enjoy the show. Last week in the National Lacrosse League. The story of the week that was in the National Lacrosse League is all about how close the standings are throughout the NLL, through the top 10 teams at any rate. There are seven teams within one game of first place. Three teams tied at the top, New England, Toronto, and Buffalo, all 7-3. and three. You got Saskatchewan at 6-3 and three, and Halifax at 7-4, and four, sitting just a half game back. And then you've got Georgia and Philadelphia at 6-4 and four and 7-5, and five respectively, are one game back of the three teams tied for first place. Um, so that is very, very tight between those seven teams. Now you throw in Colorado, sitting at 6-6, six six, two games back of the leaders. And then San Diego and Calgary at two and a half games back of the leaders. You've got ten, games, ten teams within two and a half games of the top of the standings. And that is really pretty remarkable and sets up some very interesting situations. Um, as we look at the standings and the potential tiebreakers or playoff positions for the way the season would play out. And we look, we're going to look at right now through 14 weeks, New England winds up on top. With the tiebreakers, the way I see it, at any rate, I haven't checked this with the league, so I'm just working on what appear to be the, the breakdowns from the tiebreakers. It is New England at first, Toronto sitting at second overall. They get the tiebreaker over Buffalo because they're a plus two in goals for and against against the Bandits as those two have split two games between them. So right now, I'm, I think Toronto has that edge. 
Third place, Saskatchewan, 6-3 and three because the three top teams, remember, the top team from each of the three divisions will be the top three seeds. So Saskatchewan, even though they're behind Buffalo on record, would get that third seed. That moves Buffalo to fourth, even though if the tiebreakers played out slightly differently, they could be first. We'll see more of that coming up as we go through. Five, Georgia at six and four, the second place team in the East. And then, again, because the second place teams in each division get the four through six seeds, you have Colorado at six, sitting at six and six as a record. And then the seventh seed right now in the NLL, the Halifax Thunderbirds, who have been the hottest team in the league for much of the season, came into week 14 at 7-2, and two, the number one seed. Now, with a pair of losses, they dropped to 7-4 and four, and the number seven seed. Shows you how quickly things can change in the rankings. And they're still, with all these teams being so tight, there can still be a lot of change in a given weekend, let alone in the remaining eight weeks of the season. And then, in eighth place, the Philadelphia Wings at 7-5, and five, now, if they had completed their comeback in Colorado on Saturday and got the win, they got back within a single goal with three extra attacker goals late in the game, if they pulled off a win there, we would have to get into some pretty complex tiebreakers to, turn, to determine if they were first overall. And instead, they fall just short, and now they're sitting eighth in the standings, um, which is pretty wild, which could set up some very interesting First round matchups. Uh, one would be the three versus six matchup. Saskatchewan and Colorado, the two top teams in the West. And there you're seeing a, a division game, which makes sense when you think about it, which I hadn't really thought about it before the season when the playoff format was announced. But if you're going to rank the top team, team in each division, one through three, and then the top team in each division, four through six, chances are the division that is the lowest in the standings is the, you know, got the weakest relative record to everyone else is going to have those three and six spots. I'm not sure if that would always play out or if it's such, that's just how it's playing out now. Um, certainly that Saskatchewan, Colorado one would be fascinating. Um, you would have right now, as I see New England, the one seed, Philadelphia, the eight seed. What a matchup that would be. Um, they actually play this coming week, so it's going to change the way everyone sits. But, you know, you've got the rivalry between Callum Crawford's toe probably on the crease when he scored the game-winning overtime goal uh, several weeks ago. Kevin Crowley for Philadelphia, who held out in New England, didn't come to a contract agreement, basically forced to trade back to Philadelphia where he lives, and then saying he gets extra motivated for games against the Black Wolves. Um, you've got a potentially crucial tiebreaker from this season series deciding game coming up this weekend between the two teams. And, of course, you've got the breakout goaltending stars, the dueling breakout stars, Zach Higgins for Philly and Doug Jamison for Philadelphia, so, um, sorry, for uh, New England, so what a matchup that would be, and again, that's going to change, but right now, that's how it match up, and that could be a possible scenario to see, and of course, the two versus seven is right now Toronto and Halifax, again, a divisional contest, so we might not be getting away from division playoffs as much as we thought when uh, we went to this three-division format and the eight teams in the playoffs ranked according to record. But imagine Toronto and Halifax, what a rivalry that ha has been and is really developing into. And the other game, just Buffalo and Georgia. 
just two teams that have been in the NLL Championship Series in the last few years and two of the more interesting teams in the league. So things are really looking interesting. Part of it is just there's a lot of very strong teams, a lot of good, good teams in the league. Um, the other part, of course, the way things are breaking down. So definitely something to keep an eye on and something fascinating to look back on this week, well, last week, in the National Lacrosse League. Joining me on Box the Beat from the San Diego Seals sophomore sensation Austin Stotts. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, it is great to have you on. And uh, you're interviewed by Kayla Spees after the game the other night, and you said, "I'm back with an obvious sense of, of relief and like you're you're ready to go." Um, what did it feel like to to be back? And obviously, for anyone who's not sure, you're technically you'd been back for three games, but that was the game where you looked like the player you were before you got hurt. Is that how you felt, or, or what, what was different about it? Yeah, so, like, it felt like the first three games, I was just knocking the rust off and seeing, building the confidence in my knee and just trying to get back and get back to my regular self. And on Saturday night in Calgary, I felt like, felt like my old self and doing my, my normal moves and moving like how I used to. It felt really good. There was the yeah to finally be back yeah. There was the one goal. I mean, there there you're moving really well on the crease. Some some nice lateral movement. And then there's the one goal from right up at the top of the slot where you really loaded it up on that right knee. Cause the right knee is the one with the brace that you heard, obviously, and just uh, a solid follow through and just looked really comfortable I, and for all the stuff moving this and that I thought that was one where I thought yeah he looks good he looks comfortable on that uh, uh yeah I mean doing a lot of rehabs and like doing a lot of stuff and shooting all week every week leading up to game week is just trying to get that that confidence back and and to really put all my weight into my shots on that knee right so I mean just building that back and and like you said uh taking that shot at the top of uh, power play, I think it was. Uh, yeah. Just felt really good, and I felt very comfortable with with shooting that and and releasing it. Right, so yeah. I was. Wondering, I mean, one of the things I've been watching you play for a long time now. It's uh, you know many years that I've seen you playing in the game, and there's always such a, a visible sense of joy when you're playing lacrosse, in particular when you're scoring goals. Obviously, it's obvious how much you love it, and. Uh, I figure it, it must have been so hard for you not to be able to play and, and just have to focus on getting better. Like you said, all the rehab, all the work, all the shooting off, you know, away from everybody. I'm wondering what was that process like and how hard was it not to rush that process and push to try and get to play earlier? I mean, I, I looked at it because looked at it from a, a future point of view. Is like was my second time doing the ACL to my right knee and, if I rush it and mess it up again, I don't think I'll be playing for too much longer. So yeah. I just talked to talked to the coaching staff and the G or and the organization and told them what how I wanted to play play it out and when I was and I would tell them when I would feel, feel most comfortable like as being back and trying to come back because I I knew I needed to help my team and work work to get back to help my team right so. And obviously you have a, uh, a pretty close role model for someone coming back who came back from two 
ACL tears and your brother Randy, who uh, there were questions about him going into his draft year because he'd had a, he'd hurt his knee twice in junior, missed full seasons, and I thought you know I mean they're legitimate concerns when someone's had a uh, you know had the knee injuries like that. It's a serious injury, and he obviously him coming back, being fine, playing very well, and showing no ill effects as a pro. Must have been must have been comforting for you and giving you something that you could follow in terms of a, a way to approach it. Oh, for sure. Me and my brother talk a lot, and especially yeah. when like at the beginning of my surgery and my recovery, we talk a lot, and he helped me out through it and uh, just got me over like the bad days and just telling me there's light at the end of the tunnel and I'll be getting back to playing soon. So I mean. Thank him a lot for just being a role model of my whole life, right? Uh, right. Him playing junior A at a young age, and then me just almost falling in his footsteps, right? So I mean, been a big role model my whole my whole career and my whole life. So. What's that relationship been like? Because I know you two have been close. I've talked to I've talked to Randy over the years as well, and and uh, I remember I always found him very straightforward. People were telling me, "Oh, Randy's coming out in the draft. Randy's doing this," and I'd go and say, "Hey, Randy, what's happening?" He says, "Here's what I'm doing. This is my process." And he, he was always true to his word. And he it sounds like he always kind of led you in that direction of of if you're going to tell somebody something it, it always i remember talking to you and you're saying i'm, I'm not really going to tell you about that right now because you weren't ready um about about the draft and things and it seems to me yeah. like there's a lot of aspects of your life that randy's been a model for you i mean yeah uh he's my big brother randy yeah. as a younger kid and you got an older brother i mean that's who you normally look up to and we live with him every day, and you see what he does and how he how he prepared himself mentally and physically for for games like in junior and and nowadays in pro. He works out, he does all the right steps in recovering for the, for the next weekend to play right to play at the highest level. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I take that in consideration as how how I try to treat my body now after having the injuries and just trying to. Try to stay on the floor as long as I can, right, and help my team get get the wins that we need, and and hopefully bring a championship here, right. So mm-hmm. I like to thank my brother for that and just giving me that like mindset of trying to be the best and not really not really worried about what people say. Just focus on you, right? Right. I'm curious if it was different this time around. You mentioned that you did the knee before, and uh, was it a, a different? Feeling the rehab, does it help knowing that you've gone through it before and having a sense, or is it is it harder? I know Jesse King talked about uh, when he had another injury that he felt like, oh, not again. And there was a sense of, you know, wow, this keeps happening. How do I get through it this time? And he really had to lean on a lot of people for it. Uh, yeah. Uh, going into it, I thought it was going to be a little bit easier because I did it before, but I thought this one was probably the hardest because I knew what was at stake if I don't get back to my normal self and just mentally right it takes a toll on you for being out of a sport that you love for 10 months I was out for so I mean with the passion I have for lacrosse and the love of the game I mean it was it was pretty hard so I had a I had to lean on a couple of my teammates and my roommates who I live with and my family my mom more likely and uh you know just talk it out and just and you know the lights at the end of the tunnel it was, it, was, it was a rough 10 months, but I had, I had some good days too during that, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a humble experience, and uh, I'm grateful 
for, for the point I am in my career right now. So. Right. Now, one of the things, when, when you talk about the passion you have for the game and, and how much it means to you, and I've talked about how obvious it is the way you feel about the game, the joy you have playing it, I noticed when I'm, you know, I live in Peterborough, so I see a lot of kids walking around with lacrosse sticks, which I always think is pretty cool. You know, spring comes and the sticks come out and you see guys walking around and girls walking around with their sticks. Where you're from in Six Nations, yeah. it's almost taken a step further. You see people with sticks, but you also see, I find a lot of lacrosse nets. Like you'll you'll go by houses and there's, there's a house with a net in the front yard. There's one with a net in the backyard. It seems like another level up in terms of the connection to the game from, from yeah. Peterborough and some of the other hotbeds? Uh, it definitely is a hotbed, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, as soon as the summer ends, pick up our hockey sticks, and most people don't even have a hockey net in their backyard. We just normally use our lacrosse net to shoot around, <laughs> even like playing hockey. But I mean, like you said, just nets everywhere, like every corner, every backyard, or every front yard, whatever. You know, I mean, I remember as a kid, me and my brother be outside trying not to miss because we'd have to go find it in the field, right? And if we took our eye off the ball, we'd lose the ball and we'd have to go inside and not have a ball. So, I mean, I think that's what really helped me and my brother become so dynamic at the game of learning how to shoot, like, outside just on an empty net and just making sure you didn't miss your shot because no one likes to go looking for a ball, right? So, I mean... And it's not, I mean... It's a big hotbed from where I'm from. Yeah. It's a big hotbed. Huh? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, it's not, I mean, now if you, yeah. if you miss the net and the ball takes off when you're at seals practice or wherever, you know, there's other balls around, but I don't know how many balls would you have had when you and Randy were shooting as kids? It's not like you had a big bucket necessarily, right? No, no, not at all. I, I mean, probably one or Probably lost more than we than we than we kept. You know, I mean, <laughs> we went through so many balls, and, and <laughs> it's crazy. I wish we had a bucket of balls when we were younger, but we always, we only had like one or one or two kicking around the house, so we they have to make sure we we hit our shot, and <laughs> have some fun out there. You know. Nice. Now the uh, one other thing I want to talk to you about was the. Uh, like going back, I've talked. I just mentioned having watched you play for a while, and I remember the uh, in 2016, you're coming off a 72 goal, 156 point junior A season with the uh, with the Six Nations Arrows. But I mean, you'd won the Minto Cup the two years before that, but that year the Arrows didn't make it to the Minto. So my guess is you're. You know, I mean, well, you were available. And I'm guessing pretty hungry to go after a championship. And then, unfortunately for the Six Nations Chiefs, the senior A team, Cody Jamison, Jordan Durston, Johnny Palace, all injured. And you're called up, and you're playing as an 18-year-old in the MSL Finals. Um, I'm curious what it was like to be 18 and and put into that situation where you'd played lots of high-level lacrosse and championship lacrosse, but it's another step up. Yeah, it's it's men, right, in the yeah. MSL. But going back to losing that 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 uh, could have been a three-peat, right, right mm-hmm. for the Six Nations But uh, 2016, coming off that loss, I mean. And being told I, I got a chance to win another championship that summer after I just got beat out, I mean, that, that just made me, like, just got my passion right back, just hyped, hyped me right up, and I, I, was, I was thankful that I had an opportunity. And, and like you said, Jammer going down, Dersh and Pop going down. I was looking forward to playing with those guys, and, like, mm-hmm. they're, <laughs> they're they're really good, all three of those guys, I mean. But I, I was 
I was happy enough that I, I could come in and fill a role, pull, pull my weight and do what I do, right? I mean, went in to not do nothing like as, as, as maybe anyone else would. I, I always look at it as someone calls me up, I got to do my job. Right. Up on time and do my job. So, I mean, that was, that was one, one, one heck of a summer, that's for sure. Yeah, it was pretty wild. I mean, so you would have been playing, I'm just remembering, would have been Ryan Banesh and um, uh, Briar Jonathan came up and played a lot of lefty forward and uh, Brody Jonathan. Merrill, some shifts, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, to me... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Okay, I was going to say, to me, watching that, I, and it was, to me, one of the greatest feats in Canadian sports history that Cody Jameson did. You guys get down. You got you, there's nothing wrong with what you guys are doing, but Peterborough gets up three to nothing on you guys. And uh, I remember Rich Kilgore told me, because uh, he'd been telling us after after every game, telling the media, no, I keep telling Jammer, no, he's trying to go, and I keep saying no. And and he said, I want to play. And then he said after game three, he said, I'm in. He didn't ask. He just told Richie, I'm in. And he led you guys to four straight wins. I mean, you all, there were so many of you that contributed, but Jammer to me, I mean, it was just heroic what that guy did. And I'm wondering I mean, what it felt I mean, like. Jammer, Jammer. Oh, unbelievable, right? Uh, oh, I was yeah, just going to say. Jammer's yeah. One of the best competitors, best yeah. competitors in the league. I mean, you know, he, he doesn't like to lose. He, the thing that got me about it was everyone's watching him as he played. I was calling play by play for all the games. So I'm seeing all the games and you can, you know, when you yeah. watch it on the screen, you see him up in the offensive zone doing things, and you're like, he looks pretty good. He looks, he's just moving okay. He had that massive knee brace on because he hadn't had the, the surgery yet, obviously. And then, to me, the thing was, afterwards, when you'd watch him going back to the bench. He was hobbling back to the bench. He was not moving well. He just had a, he was had a force of will when he was out there playing with the ball. Yeah, I mean, like you, like you said, the, the force of will, his will, his willingness to, to play the game that he loves, and uh, to help us uh, turn turn that series around. Right, we're down three nothing, and yeah. to have Cody Jamison and anyone's lineup, I mean, pretty sure you have a pretty good chance of winning. So, I mean, just to have him on the bench and him just like in on the on the bench as that is just mm-hmm. pretty pretty huge for an offense and for a team to have that kind of guy just in your ear telling you. What, what what we should do and what we shouldn't do, you know. So I mean, his character is, is out of this world for sure. Yeah, and I mean the leadership you mentioned because the thing is, those were two very good lacrosse teams with the Six Nations Chiefs and Peterborough Lakers, um, like really top level. So anyone looking at it, and I certainly I'd watched all the games all summer, and I'm seeing it. And I'm like, okay, two really good teams. You take Jamison Durson and Paulus off one of them, and clearly the other team has an advantage. And they took it for three games. So for him to come back and turn that around, and teams don't come back from three nothing deficits. That's why it's such a big part of sporting lore. Um, so it was it was amazing to watch. It must have been pretty cool just to be in the room and on the floor for that. I mean, it was a definitely a special moment, right? And especially like you said, no one really comes back from a three zero deficit, especially yeah. against the Peterborough Lakers team. Like they had that year. I mean, yeah. 
there's two professional teams going at it. I mean, the people we had on our team and the people they had on their team is, is basically yeah. the series of the decade almost, I want to say, because it's like you yeah. said, three, go down 3 nothing and come back and win it, win in Game 7 in Peterborough, one of the hardest arenas to win in in Summer Bowl. I mean, it's pretty spectacular, to be honest. I mean, yeah. just to be around Johnny Tavares, Richie Kills, or also Billy D. Yeah. Brody Merrill and Dan Dawson, then list goes on, right? I mean, yeah. just the just the talent and just the role model role models in that locker room is, is ridiculous, and the leadership from everyone and everyone knows how to how to win in the in that in that group, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's very special. I thought it was funny and funny actually talking to Rich Kilgore after the Man Cup, and it's almost the Man Cup was. Not a letdown, but like you said, series of the decade, series of a long time in that MSL final. Then you go in and, and you're playing uh, Maple Ridge in the Man Cup and win a game, then you lose a game. And <laughs> Rich Kilgore said there was no conversation. There was no Cody coming and saying after you lost a game, I'm in. He just, it was a look. He just looked at Rich and Rich said, I know, I'm putting you in. <laughs> it wasn't even, he didn't have to say anything. <laughs> Uh, I didn't hear about that story, but I, I'm, I'm sure that that's exactly what happened. No words said, like Jammer, classic Jammer. Just look at you and just you just know he's he's gonna be penciled in for the next for the next lineup. You know, so yeah. that's just kind of heart Jammer has and the type of leader he, he is. Now you talked about the uh, the process. Of, we're going to get back to you a bit. <laughs> just, uh, that's just one of my favorite memories. So, But you're talking about the process of, of working through it, and there's some bad days, but uh, I'm sure bad days in San Diego are better than good days in a lot of places, right, now that you're, you're living out in Southern California? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, you can only le- let it bug you for so much. I mean, like, after the surgery and everything was done, like, I knew my knee was better. I just looked at it like, all right, time to get to work. How can like how what can I do to get myself back as soon as possible, but not too quickly, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted and just the, and just like the bad days, like you said. I mean, living in Southern California is pretty. It's pretty easy to find something to cheer up about. I mean, yeah, good weather, good people live here, and the beach is right there, and sunny days every day. I mean, can't beat it. So I mean, that helped a lot, and just. Just the people I'm around, like my roommate Johnny Pearson, me and him went to the same same injury. Basically, he, he was two weeks before me, and me and him got to do rehab all summer together, and and had to talk about like how we're feeling and stuff like that mentally. So I mean, it was it was good good rehab buddy to have for sure. I mean, not too often you get to you get to go 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 through something like that with someone someone close to you, you know. So. Mm-hmm. And with him being a couple weeks ahead, like you said, having the surgery a couple weeks before you, it's almost like you've got mileposts or, or goal markers. It's like, oh yeah, he's doing this in a couple weeks. I can be there. So it's always something to kind of spur you on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I looked at it like that for a little bit, and then I realized I got to focus on me and not worried about what right. he's doing, what goals he achieved. I just got to worry about myself and just look at myself as myself and focus on myself and do what I have to do to get back and not worry about if what he's lifting or where he's at, right? So right. that that was the biggest thing for me to actually look at it and look at it from I need to focus on myself. So And 
you talk about that, you know, having to focus on yourself and get prepared and be ready to be, you know, come back and be the player you were. And you emphasized a couple times how the most important part of that is to help your team win, to try and bring, bring a championship there. And the wins weren't coming very quickly for San Diego early in the season while you were out. And, I mean, I don't, nobody's going to say it's just because you're out, but clearly that was a factor. You coming back, Casey Jackson coming back, has made a big difference. And the team's looking more and more competitive. And what a tight race in the West. I mean, couldn't be a better time to be back, right, because every game is so critical. All uh, right. I mean, like you said, we we didn't we didn't, we didn't start out too too hot. I mean, uh, our offense was half out. Like me and Casey were out, and then Fieldsy just coming in, just learning the game right uh, at a high professional level. I know he's played box before, and yeah. he's really good at field, right? But just learning those little things in a high level box, right? Box cross. I mean, mm-hmm. it's pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Just turn someone in the fire like that. But I mean, I think we're just putting all the pieces together, right? Right at the perfect time, right? Like, uh, Zagger, legendary, won, won, won championships in this league before. He's a gritty player, knows how to win, and he, he, he leads us on the bench and in the game. Like, he knows what when to calm us down and when we go, right? So, I mean, like I said, I think we're putting all the pieces together, and, and it is a tight race in the West right now. I mean, we're fighting... Everyone's being in a fight for a spot right now. I mean, you can't look back. You gotta, you gotta stay on the gas pedal and keep moving forward. One foot in, in front of the other, right? So I mean, we can keep stacking some wins together here. Here, I mean, I, I think we're looking pretty good to bring that championship back here. So. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that you just pointed out that kind of stuck out to me as you're talking about Zach Greer, but. Reminding you know when to when to kind of relax a bit, back off a little, when to go and everything because and and also how to bounce back from things. I mean, you and Casey and, and all the guys, Johnny Pearson, you're all coming back from from injuries, but also there are going to be ups and downs in the season. And uh, it's funny every weekend, you know, you go through trying to think, oh th- look, this team's doing this, they're doing really well, they're obviously going to keep going like this. This team, oh, they had a bad game last week, they're going and people try to see trends. And to me, it's so hard to forecast. We do weekly staff picks on IL Indoor and it's like I'm trying to figure out who I'm going to pick and I'm like I don't know man these guys didn't play well last week but they're probably going to bounce back the other team they're playing well maybe they keep it's so hard to tell I mean for you guys they're going to be off nights right they're going to be those bad days you just got to keep rolling yeah definitely in this league it's it's like uh, Coach Patrick Mallory says it's the hardest league to win right you got to bring your A game every night because you could always end up on the Losing side of the game. I mean, if you don't bring your A game to any arena, any any team you play in this league, I mean, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a battle. Then if you don't bring your game right on time, right? So I mean, yeah, I, I bet it's hard to uh, guess the the games each week. I mean, like I said, it's a tough league to win in on a consistent basis because everyone's so good. Yeah. Well, it's great to, to see you back on the floor, and it's uh, it's always a pleasure to get to chat. And uh, I think I guess the last time I would have saw would have seen you was last year in I was down in New England calling a game, and uh, that was just the game after you you'd gotten hurt. So I I wasn't I wasn't about to try and start a conversation because I, I just wanted I basically was like I'm not going to yeah. go and you know I want to give you your space to deal with whatever you had to deal with because it was obvious that something was going on. Um, so it's nice to hear you back, and it's always I get a lot of joy from watching you play and seeing the joy that you take in the game. So thanks for taking the time to talk, and uh, really appreciate you coming on. 
Uh, no problem, Steve. Thanks, thanks a lot for uh, having me. Checking in with the Arena Lacrosse League. We're through 11 weeks of the Arena Lacrosse League season. All but one of the seven teams in the league have played 11 games. The Peterborough Timbermen have played 10. They'll have one to make up in a doubleheader weekend. A lot of the attention at the top of the standings with the Whippy Steelhawks sitting at 9-2 and two after a win on the weekend over Peterborough. The Paris River Wolves dropped to 8-3 and three with a loss to the Toronto Monarchs. That leaves them one behind Whippy as those teams battle for first place. And you know, up at the top of the standings. And then you have a bunch of teams in the middle with Peterborough, Six Nations, St. Catharines, and Oshawa, all with either five or four wins. But this week, maybe the most interesting element of the league through week 11 was that the Toronto Monarchs in one weekend from, went from being entrenched in last place at 2-8 and eight with a minus 30 goal differential, by far the worst in the league, to a team to be wary heading of heading into Week 12 and on towards the playoffs. They had some additions, which made a big difference. Guys who were on the, the roster, on the inactive roster, but still Monarchs property who have joined them for one reason or another, uh, You know whether it's becoming available after not being with NLL teams anymore or just not having been available before but, but now being able to play. So the big additions, Tyler Ferreira, who was excellent at both ends of the floor, for Toronto, mostly played out the back door. Um, one of three Ferrer brothers on the roster, actually, as uh, Lucas is a youngster, a call-up to the senior ALL team, and playing quite well up in the front end. And Jacob is a goaltender uh, among the three on the team. So Tyler joins them, and he really had the biggest impact on the weekend, played very well for the Monarchs, and really adds to what a lot of other players on the team, I think, are able to do at both ends of the floor. Connor Brown came in. He brings some extra talent in the offensive end. He was a big-time talent coming into the league and, you know, coming out of junior. A lot of people talking about what he would be and thinking really high ceiling for him. Um, I was never quite as high on him, maybe, as some others. but And he wasn't great on Saturday, but he did score one dandy of a goal. And he adds another dimension for the lowest-scoring team in the Arena Lacrosse League, Toronto. Finally broke 100 goals on the weekend with their 10 against um, Paris in, the, in their home game. But there's still 19 goals behind the next lowest scoring team. And that's Peterborough, who scored, who's played one fewer game. Everyone else has played 11 games. The next lowest scoring is Paris at 131. So Toronto's still 29 goals behind anyone else who's played the same, same number of games. But there's some dimensions coming to their offensive game in week 11 that are uh, pretty interesting. And one of those is how well Graham Bergsma has played all year, but now with you know Ferreira and Brown, because Tyler Ferreira does play on the power play and does play up at the front end some, even though he's mostly a backdoor guy. But uh, Bergsma's been playing well all year. He's got more options as a feeder with those additions offensively. And he had six assists on the weekend, was very good, and really stepping up his role in the offense. The other addition on the weekend was Nick Diachenko, his brother Stefan, playing up front. A couple of Whippy Warriors grads who went through that program uh, a couple of years apart, so played together some. And Stefan was a pretty key component to the offense. 
Uh, he's only played a few games as well this year, but Nick Tychenko making his first appearance after having spent some time in the National Lacrosse League. He was a high pick uh, second rounder several years ago of the Toronto Rock. He actually handles the music now at Toronto Rock Games. Uh, so he's into the DJ scene, but he is also a very athletic player. He was a little helter-skelter, I thought, running around in his defensive transition role on Saturday. Uh, looked uh, a little trouble handling the ball smoothly a couple times where I thought he needed to just tuck it away and go protect it and get the offense set when he was trying to do things. But he brings some energy. He's a very talented player who's coming back after having not played for quite a while. So you totally understand a little bit of, of rustiness with the stick skills. But I'll tell you, he brought some jump to the floor for the Toronto Monarchs on Saturday. And the one other factor that really seemed to make a big difference on the weekend in the last couple of weeks is Joel Watson, who was the 88th pick in the National Lacrosse League entry draft last year. He was actually taken one pick after Georgia had decided they just didn't even want to pick anybody else. They just let their selection expire and, and left the draft because they thought, you know, that's it, we're done. There's nobody else that's worth taking. And Buffalo took Joel Watson. He didn't stick with the team, but he has played very well the last couple of weeks for the Toronto Monarchs, really stepping up his game as a young goaltender. There are actually teams in the Arena Lacrosse League looking to acquire him in trades because they want to shore up their goaltending situations, and they figured, you know, Toronto wasn't really playing and they might not mind giving him up. Seems very unlikely now. He may just have supplanted Ryan Masters as the starter for the Toronto Monarchs, and I'll tell you, if he keeps playing the way he has, and they keep getting these guys coming out to play, and they add some more gelling in the offensive end and start being able to score a bit more. The Toronto Monarchs are a team to watch out for down the stretch in the Arena Lacrosse League season. And that's pretty surprising given some of the struggles they've had up to this point in the season. There's always a, a solid core, um, you know, guys like Tyler Halls, who I think has been very good for them. Tanner Buck, who's still a junior age player, leading the team in scoring with 51 points through 11 games and has been just outstanding as an offensive weapon, really playing a two-way game as well. And, you know, some really good things happening for Toronto, but not enough to get them competitive this season. And now, all of a sudden, they are definitely a team you want to be aware of and be ready if you're facing them in the ALL as the league moves into the final few weeks of the 2020 season. Next up on Box Labit with Steven Stamp, the week ahead in the National Lacrosse League. In week 15 in the National Lacrosse League, I really think that New England at Philadelphia game on Saturday that I talked about earlier in the last week segment and kind of bled in to a little bit of next week, I think that's a really interesting game with all the things on the line, so many elements coming into it, into that rivalry, of course, without even having mentioned the old wings versus the new wings situation. You know, I mean, the, with Philadelphia having moved to New England, and then they get the expansion team. I mean, so much going on in that rivalry this season in particular. And the other factor with that game is that Philadelphia has to go the next day, Sunday afternoon, and play Georgia, play the Swarm in Georgia. And what a huge what huge ramifications that takes on if Philadelphia happens to have lost to New York on Saturday night and Georgia will be heavily favored to have beaten New York on Saturday night. What a swing 
If Georgia were to be able to beat Philadelphia on Sunday, that'd make Georgia two and zero for the weekend. Philadelphia zero and two, and the, a massive movement in the standings in the East Division with Georgia currently six and four, Philly at seven and five, in a virtual tie. They're tied in games. They are, uh, you know, Georgia a little bit ahead in the winning percentage, but uh, that would be a, quite a game. And New England, of course having the game Saturday night, how does it affect them? If Philly were to be able to win, say, on Saturday night, beat New England, that makes a big swing. And then, let's say Philly goes and beats Georgia. They go 2-0, and and all of a sudden they are in a much stronger position within the East Division. So, so much depends upon how things play out this coming weekend in the National Lacrosse League, for the East Division in particular, but really across the league. So, it's going to be a fun one to watch. Enjoy more National Lacrosse League and come back for more coverage of it here on Box Beat, the best of lacrosse radio. All right, lacrosse friends, I'll just about wrap things up for episode 14 of season 8 of Box Beat. I am Stephen Stamp, your host. I really enjoyed chatting with Austin Stott, dynamic young player and engaging conversationalist. And I hope you enjoyed hearing the conversation as well. Also, thank you, Lacrosse Friends, to you for being here week after week. And make sure you come back next week for more of the best of lacrosse radio here on Box Labeat.